0: Would you turn with me this morning in your copy of God's Word to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to be looking this morning at verses 13 through 22. And as we do, we're going to be talking about a variety of subjects. We're going to be talking about suffering and and salvation. We're going to be talking about God's patience and God's judgment. And we're going to be talking about baptism. And, And it's my prayer that... That as we come to the end of our time together this morning, that every single one of us in this place will make a decision. And and it's not a decision to leave here and do nothing. My prayer is that each and every one of us will make a decision to do one of three things. First of all, my prayer is that, that those who do not know the Lord Jesus will make the decision to receive him as Savior and Lord this morning. Second, my prayer is that if you receive him this morning or you have received him in the past and you've never publicly demonstrated that by following the Lord in believer's baptism as demonstrated and commanded in God's Word, my prayer is that you'll do that. And then third, if you're already a follower of Christ, it is my prayer this morning that you will sell out that you will make the decision, regardless of the cost, regardless of the consequences, you will serve him completely and totally. Now, now let me give you a little background, if I may, before we look at 1 Peter chapter 3. The letters of First and Second Peter are written by Peter. You would assume that. And he's writing the letter to believers who were scattered throughout the various provinces of Asia. And they are scattered there because they have come under persecution locally and personally. But Paul, under the inspiration, or Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, knows that a greater persecution is on its way. A persecution that's going to take place under Nero. And so Peter wants to encourage them to remain strong. He wants to encourage them to to remain true to their faith. If you look at at 1 and 2 Peter, you will discover that, that he calls these believers strangers three times. You see, we need to never forget that we're strangers here on planet Earth as we now know it. This world is not our home. And so we need to be careful not to become too comfortable. We need to be careful not to become too content in this world. Because God's got something better in store for us. So with that said, I want us to read together chapter 3 beginning in verse 13. Listen to what God's word says. Who is going to harm you? If you were eager to do good. But even if you should suffer for what is right, you were blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but but made alive by the Spirit, through whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God. It saves you. By the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels' authorities and powers in submission to him. Now as we unpack these verses, there are four truths that I want us to see about the Christian life. The first one is this, the possibility of suffering. We need to understand that in this life, as Christ followers, there is the possibility that we are going to face suffering. Now, Paul begins by asking what seems like, or Peter begins by asking what seems like a logical question. He says, who is going to harm you if you do good? You see, you would think that a life of integrity You would think if you treat people fairly, if you do what is right, then no harm would come your way. And the truth of the matter is, that is oftentimes true. That is oftentimes the case. If we treat people right and we live with integrity and we do good to others, then oftentimes good comes our way. But yet, we know that that's not always the case. We know that that life's not always fair. There will be times, in spite of doing good, there will be times, in spite of how faithful your walk with God may be, that bad things happen to you. I've discovered that suffering occurs for three different reasons. Sometimes we suffer because of, of the bad choices we make. We don't handle our money wisely. And we end up in poverty, or we end up in debt, or we end up in bankruptcy. We're not faithful to our spouse, and we end up with a marriage that is ruined. We, we abuse alcohol, and, and we end up destroying our life, losing our privilege to drive, or worse... And I could go on and on with examples. You see, oftentimes our choices result in our suffering. But then there are other times that that we suffer simply because we live in a fallen world. The fact of the matter is bad things happen. Natural disasters take place. There are random acts of violence. People lose their jobs. People get sick and die because, because we live in a fallen world. And again, I could go on and on. There are times that, that bad things happen to us and, and we haven't done anything bad. It's just that we live in a fallen world. But then Peter talks about, about suffering because we do what is right. You see, sometimes we suffer because we have stood up or we have spoken out for righteousness. We have done the right thing. And Peter says that when that happens, when we suffer for doing good, we are blessed. What? I mean, I can understand when we suffer for doing good, hold on. When we suffer for doing good, don't give up. When we suffer for doing good, don't get even. I can understand all of that, but that's not what Peter says. Peter says, when we suffer for doing good, we are blessed. In other words, Peter says that it is a privilege for you and I to suffer for doing what is right. It is a badge of honor. And we need to wear it proudly and and listen up. The fact of the matter is, most of us in here probably have never really suffered for doing right. You may say you have, but, but let's get real. Let's be honest. The truth is, probably most of us... and. Perhaps none of us have ever suffered because we stood up for what is right. We stood up for truth. And yet, we better get ready. We better get prepared. Because I believe the time could be coming when you and I have to face suffering for doing what is good. And so how do we respond? What do we do when we suffer because we're doing the right thing? Well, Peter tells us to do two things. He says, first of all, don't be afraid. That's easier said than done, isn't it? I mean, don't be afraid in the face of suffering. Don't be afraid in the face of pain. Don't be afraid in the face of opposition and ridicule. That's what he says. He says, don't be afraid. So how? How can we not be afraid in the face of suffering? Well, the answer is we worship or we set apart Christ as Lord in our heart. Don't be afraid of what they do but rather worship or set apart Christ as Lord in your heart. That word worship, that word set apart, is the the Greek word hagiazo, which means holy or sanctified. When something is, is hagiazo, it is set apart for God alone. And so what Peter is saying here is this. You don't just let Christ have first place in your heart. You set apart your heart solely, completely for him. You let him have your entire heart. And here's what I believe. The only way that that you and I can ever face suffering for Jesus without fear is when he has total control of our heart. When we recognize that it's not our life, it's his life. That we're not his, we're bought with a Christ, and we're here not for our comfort but for his glory and when we get to that point we are able to say like paul did for me to live as christ to die as gain so the first question i need to ask you this morning is this is your heart truly belonging to christ has it been set apart totally and completely for him or do you have a divided heart If you're going to make it through suffering, you need to make sure that your heart truly belongs completely to him. But then he tells us another thing. He says that not only should we not be afraid, he says, don't be silent. Don't let their threats and their intimidations and the suffering you may face keep you from sharing. But rather, he says, share the hope that you have in Christ. In other words, when we suffer for doing good and that may come, we use that as a platform and an opportunity to share that, the hope that we have. And let me tell you, suffering is an incredible platform. I, I mean, even the suffering that comes our way because we live in a fallen world. When you and I face suffering because we live in a fallen world, and we're a part of a fallen race, and and bad things happen, and we can can handle that suffering differently because of the hope we have in Christ, it's going to cause people to wonder why. How is it that you can face the pain and the hardship and the hurt and the loss and the loneliness and the difficulty with such hope? And we are able to say, let me tell you how. It's because my hope is not in this world. My hope is in Christ. And we have even a greater platform when that suffering is the direct result of our standing for what is good and what is right. You see, the Bible makes it clear that our hope is not in this world. And that's the problem with some of us. We, we become so attached to, to this world and the things of this world that we think that our hope is found in what this world can bring. Our, our savings accounts, our retirement accounts our our, our jobs our, our our homes our our possessions and, and our hope is found in these things and, and don 't get me wrong there 's nothing wrong with any of those things, any of them themselves those aren 't good or bad; they can be good or bad. but the problem is when we try to find hope in those things, our hope is found. In Christ alone. And so, what Peter says is this when suffering comes your way, don't be afraid. Instead, make sure that your heart is completely and totally set apart for Christ alone. And don't be silent. When the suffering comes, use that suffering as a platform to share the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. And so he talks about the possibility of suffering. But then he moves to Jesus' suffering. And he talks about the power of Jesus' death. In verse 18, Peter says this. Let me read it again. He said, For Christ died for our sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, the just for the just, the innocent for the guilty, to bring us to God. He was put to death in the body but made alive by the Spirit. Then we cannot read that verse without being reminded that Christ suffered. The word that is translated death in the translation that I read is not actually the word death, it's the word suffering. Christ suffered for our sins once for all. And Christ did suffer. He was beaten with fists and rods without mercy. A crown of thorns was thrust onto his head until it dug into his skull. He was beaten with whips called cat of nine tails until the flesh was peeling off of his body, not just his back but his body, to the point that his internal organs would have been exposed. He had to carry that cross through the streets of Jerusalem. He was nailed to a cross in such a way that it was agonizing for him to even take a breath. And then he died. Christ suffered for our sins. The wages of sin is death. Christ didn't die an easy death. He died a painful, suffering death for us. And when we look at his death, his was a sinless death, a sinless sacrifice. Christ suffered for our sins, the the just for the unjust, the righteous for the unrighteous. Jesus never sinned. Jesus didn't... Deserve to die, and yet he died in our place so that you and I, who deserve to die, could live forever. He was able to do that because he was sinless. But he was not only the sinless sacrifice, he was the perfect sacrifice. Christ suffered for our sins once for all. You see, under the Old Testament law, God had provided a way for the people to to deal temporarily with their sin. It was by animal sacrifices. And and this this system was never intended to take away their sin. It was never intended as a permanent solution to their sin. It was intended to show the people the seriousness of their sin. That they needed a sacrifice, but, but that sacrifice didn't take away the guilt Didn't take away the sin. It it just covered it up until there was a need for another sacrifice. But when Jesus came to this earth, he came for one purpose. He came to be that that perfect sacrifice. That's That's why John the Baptist said, when he saw him, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. See, all of these sacrifices didn't didn't take away our sins. They covered them up. They didn't take away our guilt. They just sheltered them for a short time. But then Jesus came, and He was the once and for all sacrifice. I want you to listen to what the author of Hebrews says In, in chapter 10. It's worth you going back to reading, going back and reading for yourself, but listen to what it says. The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped, for the worshipers would have been purified once for all time, and their feeling of guilt would have disappeared. But instead, those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year. For it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. That is why when Christ came into the world, he said to God, you do not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings, but you have given me a body to offer. For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Under the old covenant, the the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day offering the same sacrifices again and again which can never take away sins. But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins good for all time. For by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. Then he says, I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. And when sins have been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifices. I got to tell you, as I just simply read those verses, it brings tears to my eyes because, because I realize that Jesus Christ was that perfect, ultimate sacrifice for my sins. What the old system could not do, purify me, deal with my guilt, take away my sins, Jesus did with a single sacrifice. So listen. No matter what you've done, no matter how bad you've been, no matter how long you've been in rebellion, Jesus' death on the cross can take away your guilt, take away your sin can make you brand new. And so my question for you is, have you received him? Have you really received him? Have you come to that point where, where you've realized that that precious blood that was shed on Calvary's cross was the sacrifice for all of your sinful deeds? Power of the cross. But then as we move into these next four verses, we move into what most Bible scholars say are some of the most disputed and difficult verses in the Bible. And there's been a whole lot of debate over exactly what Peter was saying in, in these four verses. And so what I want us to do before we try to unpack them is to read them again. Let's try to see what God is saying. I'm going to read it to you in the New Living Translation. It says, So he went and preached to the spirits in prison, and that's Jesus. And remember it says that he was put to death in his body. He was made alive in the spirit. So he went and preached to the spirits in prison. Those who disobeyed God long ago when God waited patiently while Noah was building his boat. Only eight people were saved from drowning in that terrible flood. And And that water is a pitcher of baptism which now saves you not by removing dirt from your body, but as a response to God from a clean conscience. It is is effective because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now Christ has gone to heaven. He is seated in the place of honor next to God. And all the angels and the authorities and the powers accept his authority. Now what does this say? Well, let me tell you what it says clearly. It says that Jesus' spirit went to preach to spirits in prison. And then it tells us who those specific spirits were. They were the spirits who were disobedient during the time of Moses, or Noah. That's what the passage says. Now, do you remember that time? The time of Noah? Genesis chapter 6 and following tells us about that time. And the Bible says that, it was the most wicked time in human history. God says that it was so wicked that every thought and every imagination and the thought of man was wicked continually. There was nothing good found in man. And the Bible says this grieved God's heart to the point that he was going to destroy his creation but then we are told one man found the grace of God one man experienced the grace of God and that one man was Noah And God told Noah to build an ark and, and God was going to save Noah and his family from this destruction that was coming on the entire world and And this ark was so big, the task was so monumental that it took Noah 120 years to build this ark. But we're told in the New Testament that Noah didn't just build an ark for 120 years. We're told that during this 120 years, Noah preached righteousness. In other words, as he built this ark, He proclaimed the righteousness of God and that people needed to repent and turn from their sin. In other words, even in the midst of this rebellion that was worse than any rebellion the world has ever seen, it was so bad that God said, I am going to completely destroy the world. Even during this time, God provided a messenger who proclaimed a message of redemption and righteousness and called for the people to turn from their sin. And yet, after 120 years of proclaiming righteousness, not one person turned from their sin. Not one person heeded Noah's warning. Not one person accepted God's grace. And so God destroyed the world and only Noah and his family were saved. And we are told that Jesus' spirit, or perhaps Jesus in spirit, preached to those. Now let me just tell you, there are five different possibilities of what that means. But I'm going to tell you what I believe. The word here provides a proclamation of victory. The Greek word where it says Jesus preached to the spirits in prison is the Greek word caruso. It's not the word euangelion, which oftentimes is translated preach the gospel or the gospel. It's the word caruso, which means a proclamation. It's a proclamation of truth. It's a proclamation of victory. And so the Bible says that Jesus, in spirit, went to preach to these spirits in prison. What spirits? The spirits that were disobedient in the days of Noah. And so what was Jesus doing? Jesus was going to the place of the dead, proclaiming his victory over sin and death. And as we see that, we discover two things about God. First of all, God is patient with sinners. For 120 years, God gave people an opportunity to repent. Later on, Peter said this, God is patient with man. Not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. That's our God. God is patient with us. God begs us. God longs for us to turn from our sins. And He will patiently wait on us to receive Him and experience His grace. But understand, the days of God's grace aren't forever. In the days of Noah, the days of grace ended when God shut the door to the ark and the rain started. For 120 years, grace was offered. For 120 years, truth was proclaimed. But there came a point where grace was no longer a possibility. And we see a second thing. God is not only patient with sinners, God's judgment is final with sinners. You see, Jesus didn't go to proclaim to these people who had rejected him, there's a second chance, there's hope even after the grave. No, he's going to them saying, this is what you missed. God's judgment is final. Once we reject God's grace, once we pass over from this life into the next, there is no second chance. That's why it's important not to wait. That's why if you're here this morning and you've never been born again, you've never received God's grace, you've never been transformed by the power of God's Holy Spirit, then today is your day. Don't wait. Because the day of grace is going to end when you cross over from this life into the next. But then that moves us into the final thing I want us to see, and that is the picture of baptism. We see that in verses 21 and following. Some have said that that verse 21 says that baptism is necessary for salvation, but that's not what this passage is saying. What this passage is saying is that baptism is a vital part of salvation, but it is not a necessary part part of salvation it's vital we cannot get around that the truth of the matter is and i want you to listen to me if you have not been baptized by immersion as a believer the truth of the matter is the bible never gives an example of anyone experiencing salvation who refuses to be baptized What the Bible does say over and over and over again is when people received the Word of God, they followed Him in baptism. We see that in Acts 2 when when 3,000 responded. We see it in Acts 8 when, when the gospel was presented in Samaria and many were baptized. We see it in Acts 8, when the Ethiopian eunuch received the Lord and was baptized. We see it in, in Acts 16, when the Philippian jailer and his family were baptized. We see it in, in Acts 19, when these disciples who had not received the full gospel heard and they were baptized. Every time we see people saved, they're baptized. And so I want you to listen to me. And I'm not saying this harshly. I'm not saying it arrogantly. But if you're here this morning and you have not been baptized by immersion as a believer, you are at best living in disobedience to God. And you are at worst lost in your sins. Because the question is, how can you, as a Christ follower, continue to arrogantly live in disobedience? So, baptism is a vital part of salvation. But then, notice what Peter says. He says, Baptism is our response to God's grace. He says that the flood waters were, were a picture of baptism. Now, did the flood waters save? No. The ark and Noah and his family getting into the ark is what saved. The waters of the flood is what washed away the old. It was was the conduit through which God judged the world and and got rid of the old. And and what this is saying is that baptism is a picture of, of our wickedness being washed away. Notice notice what he says here. He, he says that our baptism is a pledge to God. That word pledge, a response, literally is describing a legal contract. What this is saying is baptism is a big deal. Baptism is our public declaration that Jesus has taken away our sin and he has made us brand new. And so the question is, not does baptism save Baptism can't save, but baptism is a contract between God and me that I have been saved. And that my old has been washed away and I've been made new through Jesus. And why, why, why would I ever say that I'm a Christ follower and yet not want to publicly declare that he's my Lord? But then this takes us to the final truth, and, and that is baptism is effective only because of Christ's resurrection. You see, apart from the resurrection of Jesus, baptism would be meaningless. You and I cannot remove our sins, and being dunked in water can't take away our sins. The only way our sins can be removed, the only way that we can receive a new life Is through the power of the resurrection of Jesus and his spirit coming to live in us. And that is what baptism signifies. It's a picture that the old has gone. It has died in the flood. And the new has come up. It's been saved through the grace of God and made new. So my question for you this morning is this, have you been made new? Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you've been made new? That you've been born again, that God's Spirit is living in you? Listen, this is no time to wonder. This is not one of those things that that it's okay to be wrong This is not life and death. This is eternity. And so do you know that that your sins have been washed away? Do you know that God's Spirit has made you brand new? If not, then today I want to encourage you to remove all doubt, if you have doubt, and humbly Receive Jesus as your Savior and Lord? And then secondly, have you publicly acknowledged that Jesus is your Lord through following him in believer's baptism? If you haven't, today's the day. Again, nowhere in the Bible do people tarry. In Acts 2, it says that day the people were baptized. In Acts 8, with the Ethiopian, it says that very moment he was baptized. In Acts 16, with the Philippian and his jailer and his family, it says that hour they were baptized. And so if you're here you give your life to jesus today then today you need to be baptized if you're here and you've never been baptized as a believer then you don't need to think about this god's word is clear you just need to walk in obedience so here's what i want us to do i want every one of us to stand and i want us to bow our heads And with our heads bowed and with our eyes closed as we stand in this moment. If you're here and you don't know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus has made you new. And this morning you're ready to to make that commitment. I want to encourage you to pray this prayer right where you stand. Dear God. I come to you this morning humbly asking you to forgive me. I don't want to live in rebellion anymore. I don't want to live a self-willed life anymore. I'm tired of it. Today, I'm trusting you to save me. I believe what your word says, that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe what your word says, you rose from the grave defeating sin and death. I'm trusting you and you alone. I'm giving you my life as Lord. Your word says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You said if we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, we'll be saved. Giving my life to you as Lord. I'm yours. Take control. From this moment on, I want to serve you, Jesus. Jesus. I want to live for you, Jesus. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for answering my prayer and saving me. Amen.